If you're in construction, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Constructed Behaviors Podcast. I'm your host, Barb Allen. I'm a woman with decades of experience in the construction industry, and most of it on the job site. I know how rewarding this industry can be, but like you, I also know that we could improve. Let's work together to make changes from the inside out. Have you ever thought about changing jobs within the industry? If you know my story, you know that I've now made four major career shifts within construction. Each one was met with a different level of resistance, and each move came with its own challenges. But overall, the industry gained a more well-rounded and experienced individual because of those changes. Today's guest also made a big career shift within the industry. Dustin Miner is currently the quality director at Satterfield and Ponticus in Houston, Texas, but quality control is not where he started, at least not officially. I've known Dustin for over a decade. We were team members on the campus project that Coy McKinney and I discussed back in episode 16. At that time, Dustin was one of my assistant superintendents. Dustin moved into the quality control position after I left Texas, and we have never really sat down and talked about the why and the how of his transition. So I am super intrigued and ready to get this conversation started. Thank you for doing this, Dustin, and welcome. Well, thank you, and I, I really appreciate you you having me on here. This is uh, this is exciting. It's a first for me. I am so glad just to see your face. Like, I I don't think I've seen you in seven to 10 years, and it's so good to see you. I'm so excited to get going on this conversation. Yeah, no, this is this is cool. When, when you first asked me to do this, I'm like, heck yeah, this is awesome. But like I was telling you earlier, as, as it got closer, I'm like, oh man, this is this is crazy for me. So <laughs> let's see what happens. <laughs> You're going to do great. You're going to do great. Okay, so let's start by talking about um, how long have you been in the construction? industry so i've been in it for for 20 years this year so okay. i started back in when i was still in, still in college as as an intern back in may of 2003 okay so where where did you go after college what did your progression look like up until the time that you and i met so i was uh an assistant superintendent um for a a general contractor out of wichita kansas um First project, full project, I guess, um, was in Springfield, Missouri, doing the Battlefield Mall remodel. And after that, I moved uh, moved all my stuff to Pennsylvania for a job that actually never got started. So <laughs> I did end up doing a job in um, Mesa, Arizona for, for Cessna. And then after that, it's just kind of, I traveled around, did a job in Lee Summit, Missouri. It's on one in Akron, Ohio, and one in Dodge City, Kansas, one in Wichita. So I was just, I traveled all over for them and just doing a, a various, various types of projects. And then how did you end up at J.E. Dunn? So um, a friend of mine that that worked uh, for that same general contractor, he had come down, moved to, uh, I think Texas City is where he lived, but he, he came to work for J.E. Dunn down here in Houston. And um, one day I was just having one of those bad days. I think it was, you know, middle of the summer, hot in Dodge City, Kansas. And, you know, one of those days you just kind of hate everything. And I called him and I said, who do I have to talk to in, in Houston about getting a job with Jay Dunn? And he fired back, send me a resume. And I said, OK, so I didn't hear much. So I called him back and he gave me Terry's 
number. So I called him and said, hey, I would love to talk to you if you want to talk to me. And he called back and I took my only vacation in five years over Labor Day, the late of the week of Labor Day. And I came down and interviewed with Terry and um, he didn't have anything at the time for sure. Um, but so I went back to, I, was, I think I was working. I think I, in, in between that time, I got transferred to Wichita and um, he called me up in, I think, October and, and made me an offer and. I think I accepted it on the phone before I even got it, to be honest with you, you know? So I think I got that off late October and I was, I was in Texas like November 11th or something. It was fast. What, what I think is interesting about that story is talking about how you called him up and you're like, Hey, I'm interested to talk to you if you're interested in talking to me. And what I find interesting about that is listening to your voice. Like your voice is so low and mine is the complete other end of the spectrum. <laughs> and I'm just thinking like for me to call someone as a general, to call a general superintendent and say, Hey, I'm really interested in a job. Unfortunately, the way things are, they're probably more likely interested in you than they are me just hearing us on the phone, right? Like your voice just sounds like, you know what you're doing. Like, not that you don't, um, but it's just, it's interesting how those biases play into things. And I hadn't really thought about it till when, when you first came on video today, before you came on the video, all I heard was your voice. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot how deep his voice is. But it, yeah. I think it's just interesting that it can op open different opportunities for different people. Um, okay, so you uh, got on with Jay Dunn and was the project that we worked together your first project with Dunn? I don't remember. So, no, because if you'll remember, um, before we started Sand Jack, uh, you were finishing up Simo Hall. Where oh, yeah. University There's a drainage issue or something like that. And so that was that was where you and I'd started together. And then I think I finished up some punch list stuff after you moved over to Sand Jack or something. Okay. That makes more sense. Okay. So Sand Jack, that is the project that you and I and Koi and Kara and Jason were all on that Koi and I talked a lot about on um, episode 16. That well, was one hell of a team. That, that was an awesome team. Uh, and like you guys alluded to in that podcast, I mean, all of us have, we've all gone our separate ways. We've all done very well for ourselves. And, um, but that, that project was, was fantastic. And I would take that team still and put them on any, any project and we would knock it out of the park. Like we did that one. Well, it's interesting. I think Jason is the only one still doing what he was doing at that point. You know, Jason still stayed in the superintendent role um, and is now, um, for, I think he's a senior superintendent or wherever yep. he is right now. But the yep. rest of us all went to not just different uh, companies, but different positions uh, within the industry. And um, so, okay, I want to know more about at what point because you moved into quality control after i left houston um yep. and i i've always secretly hoped it wasn't me that ran you off from uh, <laughs> on the superintendent track so what, no. what what was it so i actually worked on if you remember dunn owned um the subsidiary gentech oh, so i right. went I, I worked on on that side of the house um for a little bit um uh, actually as a <laughs> As a PM, 
And I did that long enough to know that I never wanted to do that. <laughs> and I'm not sure why anyone would, to be honest with you. I just, I hated it. I just, I'm not good, you know, asking people for money, you know? And so, uh, but we, we did the job down in, uh, in Corpus. That was, that was really, really tough. I, I moved down there and, and helped, um, finished that up. We brought in a bunch of uh, done folks and all that. And then, I mean, after that job, I was just, I was burnt out. I did not want to go back to being a superintendent. I hated being a PM. And then you remember Ron Bruner, that was the director of quality. So Dude, he was, he, no. he was there. Yeah. He, uh, he was in the, in the office one day and he came in and talked to me, he goes, Hey, have you ever thought about you know, joining the quality control team? And I'm like, oh, I didn't really know he had one, you know, but <laughs> Okay. Uh, and so he kind of talked about it, you know, I'm like, yeah, that sounds, sounds pretty cool. You know, I, you know, he was of course filling me in. It's obviously more than just, you know, doing inspections. Right. So um, he, I, I ended up going and, and working for him and I absolutely just fell in love with it. You know, um, yeah, I told everybody, you got to be kind of a nerd to be a QC person. And I didn't realize, I guess how big a nerd I really was. I knew I was kind of one, but um, I, I love to read and research and dig in just to the most minute detail. And so I just, I just fell in love with, it. I, I just, I love it. Cause it also makes, I get to be in the office some, I get to be in the field some and the crazy amount of projects you're on at one time that just your, your knowledge base just skyrockets. So, I mean, I love it. I, I have the best job. Well, it was really a surprising move um, when I heard about it because you were such a great superintendent um, and you were going to be a fantastic superintendent. It just it completely surprised me that you would even be interested in that position because I I mean, I can I can see like I like trying to, you know, I like the quality aspect of what we did as superintendents, but to take away the things that I really loved about being a superintendent, like being in charge of the whole job site and managing all the people and the scheduling and the intricacies of that. I never wanted to get away from that to go do something like quality control. And, um, you know, now that I say that, I, I think about like Kara as well. Like I never thought she'd leave project management because she was an excellent project manager. And and that yeah. you you both have gone and found something else that you love even more. And no doubt you're both amazing at that. But when he first came to you and said it, like what what were you afraid that you were going to miss about the superintendent role if you went and did quality so control? I guess part of the thing I sometimes still miss is I, I still get that that itch that I want to go run work. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'll ever completely get over that. Um, most most days, it's not a problem, I guess. But, <laughs> you know, like after I, I, I guess, transitioned into the QC role um, that, that I did, a I did a project back down in Corpus um, on the LNG plant down there and full time QC. Uh, so really jumped in. It was an industrial project. So, I mean, it was uh, it was a, a drinking from a fire hose on full blast. And then. After that, um, they they didn't really have much here in Houston, so I came came back and hung around the office doing odds and ends, small little small stuff, multiple projects, and they ended up needing a QC slash skin person up on the project in Wyoming they were doing. Um, so I kind of got to be a hybrid skin superintendent QC person on that for 
four months in the dead of winter. So that was fun. And yeah, Cheyenne in the winter is cool. And then after I came back, still wasn't a whole lot going on. So we did a, a high rise residential uh, project. Um, I think had four, four stories, parking garage and 11 stories of, of uh, apartments down in the Galleria. And so I, I was again, a, a hybrid skin superintendent and uh, quality control. So I was getting, uh, still learning to be a QC person and also still getting to do that, that superintendent. I was another fantastic team. You know, I got to work with uh, Troy Delugash on that job and um, got an excellent senior opinion, just the whole, whole team, kind of like what we had at San Jack, just really functioned really well, you know? Um, just so, not as fun, then, of course. Yeah, right. Absolutely not. Okay, you know? And okay. then uh, after that, I got to be a skin superintendent on a, a high rise in Austin. And um, that could be an entire podcast in and of itself. But um, after that, I just I'm like, you know, what? I, I, I'm done with this superintendent stuff. I was just so really just smoked on that one. And um, of course, working out of town was tough, too. But yeah, I just I, I don't know. I just really like the I have. A, a good knack, I guess, for getting into the details. And, you know, I get to obviously help the superintendent say, Hey, watch out for this. I've really screwed this up, which is what most of my career has been is, Hey, let's, let's see how Dustin can screw this up and what he can learn from it. You know? So that's, that's what our QC program here at Satterfield's built off of is Dustin screw ups. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that you say you, you get to help the superintendents because I think that sometimes superintendents feel that, QAQC people go out and they're just trying to find our mistakes. What have we not done well? What have we done wrong? And they, we just, we feel so attacked by it. No matter how good they are at trying to come across differently, we put our heart and soul into those buildings and we can't see every little thing, but we still, yep. we still take responsibility for every little thing. And so when QAC, QAQC comes out and they're like, oh, well, this isn't flashed properly, or this is supposed to have a double cock joint. And you're just like, oh, you're you're so mad at the QAQC person, but really you're mad at yourself because you feel like, why, why didn't I catch that? Well, we can't yep. catch everything. But right. how do you think that, um, how do you think they respond to you versus a QAQC person that doesn't come from the superintendent background? Do you think that helps with your conversations? Uh, I absolutely do, because, again, I've been in that role where you have someone, whether it's the safety guy or the QC guy, they come out and they, you know, they're 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 like a seagull. They come in, they shell over everything and they leave. Right. And that's not the right way to do it. So what the first thing I try to tell everybody is like, look, I'm not a QC cop. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm here to help. And, you know, I always make sure I go in to the trailer when I get there you know, chop it up with the guys and who the whole team and stuff and tell them, Hey, I'm going to go out and look at this. Do you have anything else you would like me to look at? You know? So just trying to be, you know, the, the work team gets thrown around a lot and it's not, people don't really view it as a team. It's just still people that just work together. But I try to actually bring that team atmosphere. Like, look, I, I want to help you guys. If there's something you have an issue with, let me know. And I'll try to help you through it. I'm not going to go run to management and tell them like, Oh, look what we caught. You know, that doesn't make any sense. and doesn't, it doesn't help. So my whole approach when I go talk to superintendents or, or PMs or whatever is just, how, how can I help? You know, let me, let, let me help you. Let me be part of your team. That's great. And then, you know, if I do, 
you know, find something, I'll come back and talk to them and say, hey, look, here's here's what I found. Here's what I think we need to do to fix that. If it's something that I've noticed that could be systemic or, or major or whatever, it's like, hey, why don't we, let's just call the trade partner over here. Let's let's talk them through it. Let's figure out what we got to do. I, I just simply writing up an issue and then walking away, that that just doesn't work. And it's not, it's not beneficial to the team and it's definitely not beneficial to the relationship. No, because a lot of times it's, it, there's there's more to it than here's the problem. It's okay, now we have to solve it because many times it's not built the way it should be because the detail didn't work right. And so it's not just get this done, go do it for the detail. It's figuring out together how can we make this work so that it doesn't leak or it doesn't yeah. condensate or, or whatever we're trying to make it not do. And and that that team aspect of it is so important. Well, the other thing, I mean, the other side you've got is it is built for detail and it's not going to work, right? So that's that's probably even more frustrating is when you get out there like, well, look, I built it like it says. Well, uh, yes, you did. And I, you know, good. It's just not the right thing. So obviously trying to, something I've had to work on, and I'm sure that you'll recall this, is how to deliver a message, right? So that's... That's something I've been working on. I still can continue to work on because my the way I phrase things and my my body language, which I know that you've also had a, a podcast <laughs> on, and that really cracked me up. So because I remember the the talks that we had. So, but it's just learning how to deliver that message, deliver deliver bad news gracefully, I guess. Yeah, and with you, I remember, and, I, and I'm remembering more as as I'm watching you on screen. I wish the audience could see, but. Um, it was less your body language as it is your facial expressions. You yeah. were just very deadpan most of the time. And so you may be just stating facts, but it comes across like you hate people. And it's just the look, <laughs> of, it's the look on your face and getting to know you that, no, 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 he doesn't hate people. He just, he, this is just his facial expression. Yeah. Um, so, so, so that's a fun part of just getting to know people. Oh, um, yeah. So I love that you mentioned that that it can be the built per, um, perfectly toward the detail and it, it doesn't work because I hadn't thought about that aspect, but um, how how have you, architects can be, um, they can be pretty protective of their design and, and, and pretty defensive. Uh, and a lot of times we as construction professionals make them defensive. It's the way that we approach them. Um, mm -hmm. And so they have this baggage they're carrying with them that every job site person hates the architect, right? Um, yep. How, how, which is not true, um, but we 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 get upset and and feel that way. Um, how have you worked through those things with the architects when it when it really is a design issue? So the the best way to try to do it obviously is way early and then you know especially if it's on like a CMR job where you can get in and have some input on all the different drawing iterations and stuff like that and you can point it out and say hey you know there should probably be an additional flashing here or we need to do this or whatever the case is they're way more open to it at that point you know um, but even if you you're not able to do that and you're on a hard bid still try to do that constructability review um, and 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 shoot in the RFI but. You know, what I try to tell our teams is like, you know, when you find something, call them before you send the RFI. Just have that open line of communication and say, hey, look, we, we've noticed this. It, it may be better if we do this or, hey, we don't really know, but could we work through that? 
and again, trying to foster a true team commitment. Because if, if you're on a, a, a sports team and you have a member that's that's of your team that's struggling, you try to shore that person up because you all want to be better. And that's what it has to be, whether it's the architect or even the owner or the consultants or whatever, is you try to shore them up. How can I help you? Which in terms helps us. So that's the main thing. But, you know, try not to find those issues too late. Say, hey, we built this entire building and now we've got this major problem. It's your fault, right? Well, yeah, who's not going to have an issue with that kind of language, right? So just try to try to find it early and just say, hey, look, you know, we're not trying to jab you guys, especially, you know, with what we do here at Satterfield. We work with the exact same firms over and over and over on all the schoolwork that we do. Trying to have a, a combative relationship with the architect is not in anybody's best interest. So just trying to truly come to them and say, hey, look, we really don't feel this is the right thing to do. So maybe if we alter it this way. Well, and one thing I hadn't asked is, uh, how long ago did you move to Satterfield? Uh, 16, 17 months ago. Okay. And so, what is it, what do you really love about their particular quality control um, program and the way that they do things? So I guess the thing that I, I really love the most is that they didn't really have one. I've, I've been able to start from scratch. You know, they were, it was just solely, uh, you know, we have, we have our teams and we have our trade partners and, you know, it's kind of more of a, a, a that's why we hire the trade partner approach to quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and which I, I go the opposite way. Yes, they are responsible, but it's, it's, it's everybody's responsibility and let's try to attack it early. So how can we, how can we plan for it? Like our whole program is written around planning, you know, getting or whether it's constructability reviews, site-specific quality plans from us and our trade partners, and then identifying, you know, on the pre-installation meetings, really diving into those. we got to plan for it so that the QC portion, you're going out and checking, you've already established all of the expectations, you know, and making sure that your mock-up is used as a tool, not as a something else to do thing. So that's what I really tried to get the teams to buy into is like, hey, we have to plan for this. I started like quality kickoff meetings with the teams, you know, when they're still in the dirt phase going through. I mean, how many times do people sit down and read the Division One specs, especially the the 014000 stuff, right? All the quality control requirements. And so I go through the division one specs pretty heavy going, hey, make sure you're using green on your submittals. Make sure you're using whatever the case is, right? So just trying to help them not get caught into that gotcha stuff. Right. So, um, yeah, anything um, that I can do to help them be successful from from the planning stages where we try to focus. And then obviously, you know, we've got software like all the big general contractors going, hey, we need to keep track of our inspections and all of our progress and all that kind of stuff. So but the planning is the main focus. I love that you mentioned pre-installation meetings. These were one of the things that I, uh, man, I would love to do. We may, we may get back together and do a whole episode on pre-installation meeting. And, and I can talk about. for days on those. <laughs> and it's so many people use both of those to check a box and what you yep. can really get out of a pre-installation meeting and a mock-up that benefits the project is way more than checking a box. And mm-hmm. okay, so yes, I'm making a note and we are going to circle back and do an episode on that, on that sometime. Perfect. Um, okay. So earlier when you were talking and don't take this as a critique, um, mm-hmm. you were talking about, you'd go to the trailer, you'd see the guys in the trailer, you'd talk to the guys before you went out and you keep saying guys. And I'm the same way. I have always, I've, I've used the word guys for men and women. That is a 
non-gender term in my opinion people will definitely disagree with that and and i respect their opinion but um i'm assuming if i remember correctly i was the first female superintendent you worked for that's correct and have you worked with another female superintendent since uh since we went our separate ways uh i don't i know i don't believe I have, um, not that I can think of anyhow. Well, I, 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 I really, yeah, I don't, not right offhand. I'd have to go back through, I mean, there's been a lot of projects, but um, yeah, I don't, I can't think of a female superintendent I've, I've worked with since then. Well, I think most most men and women in the industry haven't worked for a female superintendent. So I, I'd love to touch on that for a few minutes about like, what was it like when you moved to J.A. Dunn and the first superintendent you work for at J.A. Dunn is a woman and then you had to, I'm going to, I'm going to use the term clean up or mess because everybody feels like if you get stuck doing punch list, you're cleaning up people's mess, right? right. Um, so you, right. Had to, you had to go and finish the punch list as I went to start Sanjack and then you came over mm -hmm. to Sanjack. So initial thoughts, like just being a hundred percent honest so that people, you know, can relate. What were your thoughts? So, I mean, looking back, I don't know as it was like a big, oh no, or oh, what do I do or anything like that. I mean, it was a, it was, it was a first, you know, but I do remember driving out, I don't know, SEMO, it had to have been SEMO, but anyhow, I was, I was driving with Terry and he, and he told me um, that you were the superintendent and he goes, so I don't, and he kind of looked at me because I hope you're not going to have a problem working for a female superintendent, but I don't care. I mean, I mean, to me, it's one of those deals with as big a company as Jay Dunn. What there is, you know, it's like, well, they're not going to put people in a position that they're not qualified for. So, I mean, I, I guess it just didn't bother me, yeah. you know. Um, so now that the company I was with before Dunn, it didn't have any uh, female superintendents or PMs or anything like that. So, um, but it just, I don't know. I don't remember it. It just didn't bother me, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Um, what about like, as we work together, um, are there things that stuck out for you that just felt different than other superintendents that you'd worked for? Um, you can be honest. Not, I have complete control over editing. I can cut out whatever <laughs> I don't want. To, no, just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I really don't. I mean, it, I mean, I, I remember your, your approach was different than what I was used to because the, the superintendents that I worked with before done were the very hard hitting, you know, hard hat throwing, tape measure throwing, yelling, fighting. I mean, right. So that was yeah. So to to come into an atmosphere where a that really wasn't tolerated, um, but b you didn't you just you didn't do that, right? So right. you were able to walk up and 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 talk to people, you know, and you know, it's you always got your point across, you know. So that was that was a big change for me, but I don't really remember anything, I guess, sticking out that one way or the other. I mean, I remember some of the, some of the, the quirks I think you had, you know, if it was very important, I had to go sit it on your chair, you know, not on your <laughs> desk. I had to go sit and you would sit on it until you had time, literally <laughs> sit, sit on it until you had time to look at it. It's true. Right. So, um, but I mean, I don't remember ever having to watch what I said or anything like that. You would catch me on, on how I would say things, but that's, I don't think that was because you were a woman. I think it's just because 
Dustin needed a little bit of <laughs> finesse sometimes, right? So um, I uh, I just don't don't recall any anything that really I guess stood out, you know. You know, for me, when I came up as well, I came up under a great superintendent, but he was a yeller and a screamer and a hard hat thrower and a pull the phone off the wall thrower, you know, and oh. me, I, my dad is the one who really taught me that it just doesn't help to raise your voice, you know, like it. And honestly, he also taught me that sometimes you get under people's skin more if you don't, and if you don't let yeah. them see that, <laughs> see that you're being bothered by it. But for me, um, there are three times in my career that I ever raised my voice. And I remember each of them because it was just so out of character for me. But the other thing is when I raise my voice afterwards, I go cry. If there is something about it that makes me feel like I just lost control of myself mm -hmm. and I'm so disappointed in myself and I just go sit somewhere or go hide in a room and I cry and it's um it, there's there's no crying in construction well there is for me after after i get done yelling at someone but but it was three times in my career and i remember each of them each of them very very vividly well i wish i could say that for me it was only only three because i ain't got enough fingers or toes to count the number of times i've lost control so in fact one of the last times i did was in a, a, a trade partner meeting on a job in, in austin and i had the super, general superintendent pull me aside to tell me you know, that, that was an epic rant, but you can't say this, this, and this again. So it was, uh, yeah, I, 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 that was another, I guess, big reason I didn't want to be a superintendent. I didn't like the person I turned into, you know, so it was, yeah. it was, it was time to make it, make a change. We are all works in progress. We all continue to get better. Uh, the more experience we have, we all make those personnel mistakes. And, you know, thinking back, something you said, I wrote it down here. Um, oh, shoot. I know I wrote it down or I just thought of it. Oh, yeah, here it is. You said um, when you made the switch from superintendent to, to quality control, it was just one of those really bad days and somebody caught you at the right moment. And I think that that happens so much for, for people. And I think companies and bosses need to be more cognizant that the way you treat your people, whether it's directly or it's making them work crazy hours and travel way more and not being able to be home with their families, um, the way you treat them wears on them to a point that one day it just takes one thing and the right person walks up at the right moment and all of a mm -hmm. sudden your trajectory changes. That's that's how one of the moves for me happened. And it was like, I just had enough. And I hung up the phone after a call that I was just like, I am so tired of being talked to like that. And another phone call came in and a guy who just had kept trying to recruit me. And I'm like, all right, today I'm actually going to listen to what you have to say. <laughs> you know, it yep. matters how you treat people. Just one incident is most likely not just one. It has been yep. leading up and people are tired of it. So, yeah, well, and I mean, it just, you know, I, I was so fortunate that, that Ron had come and, and talked to me that day because I would have never, probably ever even thought about it. You know, um, it's just something that wasn't wasn't on my mind at the time. So um, I, I'm so thankful he did. Ron and I still stay in contact. I mean, we, um, he's he's since moved on from from Dunn as well. But 
I mean, literally at least once a week we're, we're talking and of course texting almost all the time. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was a very fortunate meeting and I'm, I'm very, very grateful that it happened. Well, and he, he obviously saw something in you that, that detailed side of you, that research side of you that he felt like this is going to be, this is going to be a great fit for quality. And what I would like to have women listening understand is women tend to be also really good at research in detail. And, you know, if you're headed down a path that is project management, superintendent, whatever, and somebody comes and says, hey, I think you'd be really great at quality control or safety or something like that. Sometimes we as women can be like, that's offensive to us because we were on these tracks and we think project management and superintendent is the way to go. And it's not that people are thinking you can't do the job you're doing. They just recognize you'd be so good for their department. And I just, I want mm -hmm. the, the women that are listening to keep that in mind that sometimes it, it's really not about your gender. It's about what the work that you've seen, they've seen you doing and they're wanting to pull you into their department. So. Well, and I, I, I it's odd that you brought that up because I mean, as a, as a general, I guess, blanket statement, um, Obviously, there's exceptions to this, but women are are way better QC personnel than men are. I just they they have they have a knack, like you said, for getting into the details, and you know they obviously they know how to I think better approach people with um, say I call it constructive criticisms, like hey the job's not you know or this detail's not quite right, you know, um, but they just have it. They just their eye gets drawn to that stuff. You know, there's there's been times, honestly, I've had people, you know, tell me I'm, I'm too picky. I'm like, I could get my wife out here. You know, <laughs> I mean, I guarantee you she's a lot better at this than I am. I mean, I've never built anything right. So uh, but it's just I mean, it, it, women are they're just very, very good at, at that, you know. So I would definitely encourage like if, if they don't feel that they're but maybe they want to continue down the PM or superintendent path. I mean. Take take a look at at quality control because it's just I I mean I love it it's you get freedom you're not reporting necessarily to one job every single day all the time or I mean obviously there's exceptions to that as well but if you get put on one project but that's I love the freedom that this brings you know to where you know if I had to work from from home like on a plan review I could I could be doing that you know or. You know, I, I've been around jobs and stuff, so I can always fit something else in. So the freedom of this is is fan, fantastic. Look at you trying to recruit my listeners to the quality control departments of their company. Hey, you know, it didn't start out that way, but I, you, know, <laughs> like, you can put my number up there if you need to. <laughs> I never would have thought we would ever be having this conversation, Dustin. I I have absolutely loved this conversation. And you said uh, you sometimes get an itch to to go back to the to the superintendent work. And and I feel mm -hmm. the same. Like I, I just miss being on job sites sometimes. And I always think, man, before I officially, officially retire, maybe I'll go back and just say, can I run one job somewhere? And now after this conversation, yep. I'm thinking, oh no, I'm gonna go back and say, can I run one job? And can Coy and can Dustin and Karen, can we all come and run one job? And then- I, I, You know what, I, I think we would all do it. You know, it's just, it was so, so much fun. You know, um, we may have to uh, possibly relearn some of the like stuff like white on white on white, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think it would be a lot of fun and I would I would really enjoy it if that opportunity ever came up. 
Well, and related to that job, I'm going to end this interview with two words that are only going to mean something to you and I. The listeners aren't going to get it, but I'm going to say thank you for this interview and that that's it. We are going to box it. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> thank you, Barb. <laughs> If you know someone that could benefit from this particular episode, then share it with them. Or if you want to continue to learn about the untapped and underutilized resources that will take your business to the next level, then follow the podcast. You don't want to miss an episode where we discuss what you needed to hear. And lastly, there is a link in the show notes that will allow you to reach out to me directly if you want to accelerate that learning curve. Thanks for listening. Talk soon.